Hello, everyone. Welcome to Rash's World. We have a very special guest today, and uh, welcome to uh, Rash's World, Dr. Norman Rosenthal. Uh, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you. Yeah, wonderful to have you here. So I'm going to go through the first and the toughest question first, uh, and uh, I do to every guest. Um, how would you briefly describe yourself? What would you focus on here for our audience? I would say I'm a very curious person. Everything fascinates me. I've always wanted to figure things out, especially to do with the human mind. So even when I was a little boy, I was always interested in everything pertaining to the mind. And I had a very large extended family in Johannesburg. And many of them had characteristics. Many of them had elements that aroused curiosity. For example, one time uh, I had an uncle who had temporary amnesia, forgot who he was, and then slowly his memory came back to him. And I thought, now, what's going on? What happened to that memory and where did it come back from? Or I had another cousin who was a compulsive gambler. And he was absolutely certain that a horse would win a horse race. And he couldn't admit to any possibility that the horse could stumble. And of course, he went bankrupt. So I thought, now, how come he was so sure that that horse would win? You know, so I was always ask myself questions, no matter what happened. And I always wanted to be a psychiatric researcher and a writer. And so that's what I became. Wonderful. I love that introduction. Now, uh, you, uh, your book is your research and psychiatrist and your book, uh, uh, your most recent book is Defeating Sad, which is Seasonal Affective Disorder, A Guide to Health and Happiness Through All Seasons. And you are the person who puts sad on the map. Guilty as charged. <laughs> and I love it in your book, how you say when you made it on Jeopardy, You've really made it. That's that's kind of the the, the dividing line there. Right, because when when it was a Jeopardy question, you know, what is the illness, you know, described by Norman Rosenthal that upsets people in the winter? And then the answer was, what is sad? Yeah. Uh, my telephone, uh, my voicemail was completely chock full, <laughs> and I didn't realize how many people watched Jeopardy was much more important to them than if I'd gotten it into the New York Times or whatever it was. The jeopardy was really the mark that I'd kind of made it. That's wonderful. And and, and many people know, and it, it's, it seems kind of common sense now in our perspective, but uh, it wasn't back then. So when, when you came up uh, with this, uh, these findings, um, uh, I'm sure you had a lot of resistance from, from, from fellow psychiatrists and so on. So could we briefly talk about that first? Sure, yes. Um, some people thought it was trivial and unimportant. Hmm. Other people thought it was just plain wrong. Okay. Um, other people thought it was a joke. Oh, no. I remember one colleague at a meeting um, saying to me, come on, let's stand underneath the light. I'm already feeling depressed. Oh, my God. So, um, but I just knew it was right because I had experienced it myself. So I realized this is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And so it was worth devoting all these years trying to understand it and trying to explain it and enjoy it, actually. 
Yeah, yeah there, there are three factors that you look at. So our geographic location, for example, which is, again, again, common sense. Of course, our environment influences us. I don't know why people would not accept that. And uh, uh, indoor lighting as opposed to natural lighting. Of course, again, this is something that uh, that does affect us in various ways. And then also stress. I, I also like the fact that you included uh, stress, too, in that that mix. And you use the three-legged stool, which I also like uh, in, in your book. So the three-legged stool that stands for biology. So part of it is, is genetic, as you're saying. Stress plays a role. And then again, a lack of light. So um, um, one way is, again, the importance of light on our body. And I was reading through a book. There's a lot of things I didn't know how important it is. We know it's important, but how important it is to our overall health and well-being. Definitely, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, we evolved with light and dark. Those mm -hmm. were the major cues that told us if it was day or night and what was going on in the world around us. And very, very important for us to be able to interpret it and respond to it. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the three-legged stool is once you have some of it, uh, parts of it out of whack, it creates uh, instability. And so in many ways of really also finding the cause and we take it as normal. We see it as normal. Well, yeah, I'm depressed during winter days and so on and during the fall. And But there are other elements, too, that it's, it shouldn't be this way. Well, I think the important thing is you can do something about it. Exactly. You can change it. Uh, you know, in times past, it may have been very adaptive mm -hmm. to be slowed down in the winter when there was nothing much going on, when there was very little food around, where you wanted to conserve your precious calories and not dissipate them when there wasn't food on the ground. Um, I talk right at the end of the book about the Arctic reindeer, because in Svalbard, which is a huge island of Scandinavia, there are these Arctic reindeer and they just stand stock still on the ground and people can come up to them virtually and they don't run away. And they have evolved in such a way, firstly, they're not a lot of predators. They're not natural predators in that area. So there's no danger in standing still. The danger is in losing calories that are very hard to replenish in that time of year. So they resign. That's called Arctic resignation. And I've compared that to seasonal affective disorder where we resign. We go into we go into winter resignation, but we don't have to because there are a lot of things, and this is what I talk about in my book, mm -hmm. that you can do to reverse that, mm -hmm. which I and encourage people to do, and I do it myself. Yeah, and we, we, we don't hibernate. And that, that seems for, for, for some people who, who are suffering through that would be like the ideal, like, like the bears, like, okay, I'm, I'm taking the winter off and hibernating. But uh, going also to calories, uh, uh, one way of dealing with it is BLT. Exactly, BLT. And uh, it's an unfortunate acronym because we, we confuse it with a, a lunch sandwich, but it stands for bright light therapy. And that has been one mainstay of treating SAD is to get these desktop boxes, uh, light lamps, and um, turn them on and illuminate the space for a little bit. And uh, it can have wonder wonderful effects. 
in helping people feel better. Yeah, and you mentioned it can be as effective as uh, antidepressants. So, and uh, so I, I think that is something to really explore for, for people. And again, not just when that you're, if you're suffering from sad, but in, in general too, because it can create, light is so important. So I want to delve into that, of the importance of light and what effects it has on our, on our hormones, on our, on our overall psyche, on our well-being and so on. Because I found it fascinating going through that book that I didn't really notice. We just take it for granted, but no, it, it does uh, have uh, various effects on our sleep schedule as well, sleep cycles. So what would you say about that? Yeah, I think that uh, light has been underestimated. And one reason is that in order to achieve some of these goals, the light has to be much brighter than ordinary room light. <laughs> That's why we didn't observe a lot of these things, because ordinary room light, which is measured in lux, L-U-X, at night, maybe 300 lux, whereas the light fixtures that we use to reverse the symptoms of SAD have usually been 10,000 lux. So it's a very, very big difference. And that's what we've needed in order to have these biological effects. Mm-hmm, absolutely, and uh, and it's 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 relatively easy to implement, right? So all you need is probably like maybe half an hour of of, of being in that light, immersing yourself. You you, you recommend in the mornings, but uh, people are resident uh, resistant to do exercise, right? When you talk about exercise, some people say, "No, I'd rather do something else for that." But this seems to be a, a good way of uh, implementing and uh, uh, here and making sure that we 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 deal with uh, with these. Uh, feelings of depression and so on, because it does, it has proven uh, to have effects on. uh, Absolutely. But people must remember that if you go and go for a brisk walk or a run outside, Mm -hmm. you're going to get both exercise and light. Uh, But just remember to look up at the sky because there's no light box that is as big as the sky. Right. And the sky is emitting a lot of light. It's just that we don't look up. If you think how we walk around in winter, we've got a scarf, we've got a cap, a muffler, um, and we are, (laughs) you know, all bundled up. And so we don't see the sky, but it's important to look at the sky. Of course, not look directly at the sun, but um, that can also be very effective in conjunction with light therapy, because some days you don't want to go out and look at the sky. Mm-hmm. It's not very pleasant. Yes. And, uh, but also like in terms of our sleep cycle, like melatonin and how it responds to, to light and what we, we tend to do too, I, by myself as well, of, of being on the computer and being on the phone at late at night. And so these are things that again, affect uh, us in, in various ways. Yeah, I think, you know, it's part of a larger subject, which is healthy habits Mm -hmm. that has, in my experience, become more and more important, you know, the longer I'm around, that is good sleep. And this is what I emphasize in the book, by the way, good sleep, light in the morning, I meditate every morning, garden exercise, be a good person, do good work, eat good food, and um, enjoy your life. That's what my philosophy is. And you can do this all year round, but it's got to be mindfully implemented because you're not just going to happen to do it. You've got to plan to do it and then carry that out. 
And I must say that since I have been doing all of the above, my life has been easier and happier, and I recommend it. Yeah, I love it. And you, you mentioning two words that I, I love very much, which is holistic, a uh, holistic approach to it. Again, it's not just one thing. And often people just focus maybe on the medical side of just doing that, that one thing, but it's like a, 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 a complex thing. It's various things that influence each other. And I want to talk about some of those things that you mentioned, because I, I do them too, including uh, mindfulness. Um, but um, also the other thing that is important here is uh, we don't have to live that way. We don't have to just plod through life and take like the, the suffering and so on. There are ways of changing that, defeating uh, the, the title of your book, defeating sad and in many ways depression as well and 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 moving on. And I, as somebody who I, I've gone through my life and when I look back, I think there was like a mild dissatisfaction or depression. And that seems to be accepted by many where you don't really, you don't really deal with it. It's like, oh, that's, that's how it goes. But that should not be the norm. And I think uh, really like enjoying life. And I look around too, and I see many people are not doing that as much as they could. So uh, I, I, I like it that you're also focusing on that. So not, not when you are ex in the extreme, but what about those who are mild to moderate? They also would benefit from, from uh, a mix of various approaches that you are uh, proposing here. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. Um, there's an old saying, that the fly that's been in the horseradish bottle all its life thinks it's the sweetest place in the world. And, um, or there's the, the comedian who, who's apparently whose mother didn't cook very well. And he thought that indigestion was a normal way of life. You know, he didn't realize it was a symptom of the food. Uh, but, you know, I think that's what happens when we, when we have chronic, low mood, chronic dissatisfaction. Sometimes maybe we feel like there is no other way to be. But I think that, you know, to me as a psychiatrist, as a coach, I've realized that there are many ways to be. And a lot of it is up to you. But it, but you don't do it with one magic trick. Uh, you've got to combine tricks. And that's why in um, one place I say, you know, there's there's an old saying, uh, it's a, originally from a Greek philosopher, Archilochus, that the fox has many tricks, but the porcupine has one big trick. But in, in treating your mood and your SAD, your seasonal affective disorder, you're better off to have many tricks. Because even though light is one big trick, you, have, you can have that big trick, but you still need many other tricks as well. And they are what we were saying, exercise, um, even strength training is good, plus aerobics, um, meditation, good food, good sleep. So somebody may go for light therapy and say, you know, I'm only like 50% better. Well, maybe that's a lot, 50%. But maybe when you add the exercise, you'll add another 10%. And when you add good food and when you add rest and when you this and this and this, then soon you know you've got 90% and the other 10% you can handle. But but it's a good thing to get 90% better and 50% is not a lot. No, to try out, to be open to new approaches, I think, especially yeah. because it's not causing side effects. But people are embraced medication very quickly and it does have side effects. And uh, I'm not saying that, uh, of course, some people do need it and benefit from it. 
But what if there's another way of doing, it, as you're saying, with exercise, which is uh, which is hard to implement, but again, you can do it in a way that 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 suits you and fits you. I love taking walks, so that's something that I can implement in my in my daily life. But one thing I want to mention that you mentioned this, and I, I talk about it a lot in my podcast too, is the serenity prayer, and I just love that. That's that distinction distinction between what I can change and what I cannot, and that difference between the two. So various things perhaps in our, in our genetics that we cannot change, but there are many things that we can, many things that we have uh, influence over. And uh, uh, again, I, I love that you mentioned that. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think the serenity prayer is brilliant. You know, it's been attributed to a modern philosopher, Reinhold Niebuhr, but in fact, it goes all the way back to Epictetus, mm -hmm. the slave, who was uh, one of the founding philosophers of the Stoic movement, yeah. who said, you know, a lot of happiness in life depends on being able to separate out what you can control and what you cannot control. Mm -hmm. And But this turns out that there's a lot that you can control, including your internal space. But but it's it can't be controlled with a switch, like a right. like a mechanical object. It's controlled with your habits, your sleeping, your eating, your light, your exercise, foundational habits is what I call it. I love how you're well read. I love all these these quotes of like, I mean, I love literature and I love nature and then also philosophy and just seeing the name. And the, the idea of like uh, the stoic too, is like, well, we can't control things that happen to us, but our response to it. And I think that is hugely important. Like there are many mm -hmm. things that again, we can't control, but how do I respond to it? that is within our control. And we often yes. don't realize that. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Viktor Frankl. Oh my God, I love him. In the last years of his life, it was in Vienna, in his summer house outside of Vienna, went with a friend who was co-teaching a course uh, in the psychiatry department. My friend was the head of psychiatry at the University of Vienna co-teaching with Viktor Frankl. And Viktor Frankl's incredible insight, which is now so well known, is that we are not able to control anything except for one thing, and that is our right to choose how we respond, even in the most extreme circumstances. Yes, And that's what he taught, and he lived that way. And... Um, he was in his 90s and he was blind at that time, but clear his mind was clear as crystal. And he was so there, he was so present. You really felt like you had all his attention. And I don't know that I've ever so felt like I was in the presence of a great man yeah. as I did yeah. with him. Absolutely. No, you're, you're so lucky, so fortunate. Yeah, I envy you for that. That's wonderful. I love Victor Frankl. And so um, one one thing, too, I want to uh, mention here that you mentioned in your book is, uh, as I was going through it, and I was happy to see it, is intermittent fasting. And uh, it's something that I've been doing for a couple of years. And Mark Matson, I think, uh, who was talking about it, a scientist uh, some years ago, and I was just intrigued by it. And I was trying to deal with my obesity. I did have various uh, issues, also diabetes and so on. And I, I love your, your recommendation that if you have diabetes, don't do it. I still did it despite going against the advice of my medical doctor as well. But um, I, I've seen a lot of changes through that. And it's really effective. And it doesn't, you don't have to take pills. It's something that teaches you also control. And again, 
uh, uh, kind of, as you're saying, like choosing a certain path. And that has really worked for me. Is that something you've done as well, intermittent fasting, like time-restricted eating? Is that's what I, I, I do. I, I, I mean, the first thing that has to go is eating after dinner. That mm. just is yeah. out. So up. let's say I eat dinner at 7. If I can wait until 10.30 the next morning, that's about what I can manage comfortably. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I do. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's my fast period. What's that like? 15, 16 hours. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's helpful. I know that the times that I have to eat early in the morning, uh, then I, I see a, a bump on the scale the next morning because I think it's good. What's What has it done for you? Oh, wonders, wonders. And Tell me, before how, I, do you, I was, how do you do intermittent fasting? What's your regimen? And, uh, I, I do exactly what you're saying. I have dinner around 7 p.m. And then I, I haven't eaten still yet. I'm waiting for, for after the podcast. And so usually it's until noon uh, around there. And, and, and I'm fine. And it was tough at the beginning. I think that even at the beginning, even like when you have to do a, a blood test, blood work, and you have the 10 hours, that was tough for me back then because like, I can't do 10 hours. But now easily, like I'm comfortable, 16 hours, I'm comfortable with it. And then I get a bit of uh, a pang of hunger and, and that's fine. And one of the misconceptions is that many people say that breakfast is the most important meal. And this is actually not necessarily proven. And also in terms of my own blood work, the results that I get, uh, uh, the diabetes is, is almost under control. I'm really like borderline at it and probably will be soon. And I, 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 part of it, I think, is that that control of food by not, uh, again, carbs don't attract me as much as they used to, fast food. Before isn't it I funny how you how you yeah. get used to it? Yeah, and that's gone. And now I choose when I want to, and uh, it's not always, and it's not being driven. I feel more in control and, and with my my cravings too. So uh, that's done uh, wonders for me. Wonderful. Is your hemoglobin A one C improved? Yes, yes, yes. It's 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 for almost people on your podcast. They may not all know it. It's a kind of it's a way of getting a longitudinal sense of what your blood sugars are. And that's an excellent index. Yes. Oh, no, that's great. And in fact, I listen, I heard Mark Madsen oh, yeah. on STEM Talk mm -hmm. uh, podcast. Yeah. And that got me going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was just inspiration. I said, well, let's give it a try. Let's try it out. I was curious. So, yeah. And it's also like what I, what you mentioned is uh, interesting that light therapy can reduce our carb cravings. So that can also help us with the, the, the control of food and also of, uh, of losing weight. Definitely. Definitely. Like right now, uh, the days are getting shorter and I can feel my sweet cravings popping up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So this morning I got a good dose of light. Mm -hmm. But uh, so we're in that time when the summer is so hot that people are having trouble, but the days are getting shorter. So you're caught between these two extremes. Yeah. And, uh, so we have to be very skillful at navigating uh, this this current. Yeah, and one of the thing you things you mentioned in your book is that suicide rates are higher during spring and summer, which comes uh, a bit seems like counterintuitive, but when you explain it, it does make sense, and it's it's it's, it's very sad. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's a it's a reality, and it's been found in different areas, different regions, different cultures for a long, long time.
And that is because the the adjustment again of to the longer days where you still carry carry that 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 gloomy feeling and uh, it's it's hard to adjust. And you also mentioned daylight uh, uh, saving time. So um, what uh, uh, what's your view on that? Is that a good thing? Should is it something we should keep? Should we not keep? How does it influence us again? Well. You know, I think the thing with daylight savings time is it was, as I understand it, originally brought about to protect the children going to school early in the morning. Interesting. To bring the light earlier mm-hmm. and uh, protect the children, because if the light is allowed to drift later, then they have to go to school and it's still dark. And there are actually fatal accidents of children. So I think that if that is at all a consideration, we need to do everything possible to prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. So I think we should keep the daylight savings time. But I think that what happens is that when the daylight savings time comes, that first thing that you notice is the extra hours of darkness in the afternoon. And... um, I remember I came from South Africa to New York City, and that first winter, I walked out of work, and the world was dark for the first time. And I thought, wow, what's going on here? There was a cold wind blowing off the Hudson River, and I thought, I can't deal with this. But of course, I can, and I did. Mm-hmm. It was just the the strangeness of it. And I think still, you know, that extra hour of darkness in the afternoon affects a lot of people. And it's well to know about it and counteract it by getting some extra light morning and evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it during winter times we have that too, where you go to work, it's dark, and you come out, it's dark. And you go, where was the day? I, I just lost That's the whole right. day. And that if you can had- get out at lunchtime for a lunchtime walk, or if you've got a light box, BLT right there with your BLT, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, this joke, bright light therapy with your bacon, lettuce and tomato. Mm-hmm. But in any event, um, you know, if you can get some light, once you understand something, you can then begin to figure it out. <laughs> Before you understand it, it's just mysterious. It's awful. They used to call it, when I was in my residency, before we described seasonal affective disorder, they called it the Christmas crunch. Everybody was feeling the Christmas crunch. Mm -hmm. And, of course, this was probably seasonal affective disorder in disguise. Yeah, and probably they 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 do suffer from. They just don't want to acknowledge it. What I find when people are like sarcastic about it is because it resonates with them, and there are things they don't want to realize about issues. But um, what else, what you also mentioned is mindfulness and TM. So you you do uh, TM, and uh, mindfulness is something that I'm fascinated with uh, in terms of also being aware of our sensations, of our feelings, and so on. And it's 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 you learn a lot from it. But what would you say was your experience from TM? You've written on, on TM as well which you've been practicing well well, yeah before i go on to my tm story which (laughs) which um has been one of the great adventures of my life Mm -hmm. um i think all of us should be mindful yeah um and uh you know i love uh, the work of the writings of Thich Nhat Hanh and the way he says you know never do anything in order to get it done 
you know, do it with thoughtfulness, mindfulness, with love, actually. Love what you do, if you can, because then you love your whole life, you know. Um, but I, I do do everything with mindfulness, but my fundamental practice of meditation, this is not, mindfulness is in ev my everyday life. Yeah, it's in here. But what I do with TM, I've written two books on the subject. And both of them came out of a sense of wonder and a sense of amazement. I, I love being amazed. I love being full of wonder. And, and this is so interesting. I, I've got to learn about it and then I've got to write about it. That's how it always goes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I had done it when I was in my 20s in South Africa. I was a medical student and I learned it back then. I didn't think it was a serious business. I thought it was a fad. Mm -hmm. and I let it drop off my priority list. And then I'm sitting 35 years later in my office talking with the patient who was encouraging me to go back to it. He said it's made all the difference to me. So I connected up with a friend of mine, Bob Roth. He's the head of the David Lynch Foundation. Oh, cool. And they are dedicated to uh, teaching people TM. And he's a wonderful guy, and he... Re refreshed my training mm -hmm. and that was like 17 years ago and I've been meditating ever since and it's it's been nothing short of transformative mm -hmm. you know the creativity and the peace and the serenity and the enlivenment it's very it's very odd because when you think of serenity you don't think of being vibrant and alive mm -hmm. yeah but somehow they're not incompatible. Transcendence, yeah. which is obviously the key of the technique, the key state of consciousness to which we aspire in that technique, um, is a combination of calmness, contentedness, and yeah. enlivenment. Yeah. So um, I've been the grateful um, recipient of those gifts, and I've passed it on to many, many clients of mine. Many of my clients meditate, they do TM, a lot of my friends do. It's a wonderful practice, and it's a-religious. It doesn't have, you don't have any belief system attached to it. Again, it goes to back to trying it out, you know, trying out. Sometimes, like, TM might work for others, whereas uh, meditation, uh, mindfulness, right. and so on. And I, I found with, with myself, too, and I love how you mentioned, like, love what you do, because often the, the doubts and worries get in the way, and I found that was with me, whereas, like, worrying about things or responses or as, as, as an instructor with students and so on. But once you 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 dissolve that, then it just feel you are in that moment and you enjoy every little thing and you're not worried about things. You're not that that uh, voice inside you is not like criticizing you over everything. And you can just relax and be. And I think that, again, leads to more happiness, more joy in whatever you done TM. I haven't. I, well, I, I did for a while when I was younger, and it was silly. I my word was banana, and I would try that out. But uh, I, I I should perhaps take it more seriously. Can Can I connect you with my friend Bobby? For and, sure. For and sure. I'll, I'll hook the two of you up because okay. I, can, I can see how much you enjoy learning and yes, and finding out new pathways to get yeah. places. And I would love to do that. Yeah. yeah. 
for me, meditation did not work though, because I found it's like, I'd rather like focus on things instead of controlling things. And I didn't like the, the control aspect of it. It's like focus oh, on oh. your breath of meditation, like focusing on your right. breath. Well, that's the thing about that TM work for me. is not, a, it's not a control. Mm -hmm. it, you've got to really give up the control yeah. in order to get the benefits. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll connect you. It's just, I, it's so intriguing, you know? I'm open. I'm open to that. That's wonderful. And so uh, one thing you mentioned too, the bain de surprise, I did not know that. And I, I studied French literature. What was that? Bain, bain de surprise in uh, 19th century France. Yes. Uh, yes, I love yes, that. Yes. That's kind of like jolting us. So can you briefly explain that? I just love that example. Well, the bain de surprise means the bath of surprise. Yeah. Because you'd presumably say to your patient, which there was no such a thing as informed consent, oh, come over here, Mr. So-and-so, and then boom, in they go into an ice-cold bath of water. Uh, I think, I mean, I'm surprised they didn't get a heart attack. But, okay. but anyway, apparently it was helpful. And right now, with the summer depression that is related to too much heat, the idea is that maybe you need to be cooled down. Yeah. So I tell people to get a cool bath and I I say, take a cool shower. Um, I've stopped short of dunking somebody <laughs> into an ice bath. But, you know, there are now these plunge baths that they've got yeah. that they're advertising on Amazon and here and there, which are these cold baths that you... Um, are encouraged to step into. I would not recommend any of them because I don't know if they're safe. Mm -hmm. yeah. So as a doctor, I'm very, very careful about what I recommend because mm -hmm. things that can do good can do bad as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, yeah. I wouldn't do that. But that was the band of surprise. It's very zen. It's very zen in my view. It's also if we if we had it at workplaces where you know expect the unexpected is what I what I tell my son always. So it's like being ready for it, being thrown into something that you didn't expect. And I think that is again the sense of control. It's like where there's certain things you cannot control, which is now I'm going to throw you in the water. I just love those kind of things. I think <laughs> a little bit like life, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the the unexpected, the 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 the, the curveball that you didn't expect. But I see that now less as a threat, as something like, oh, this is interesting. Now, how am I going to respond to that? I'm I'm curious about how I'm going to deal with that, kind of like as a, as an experiment with myself. And that takes away the the pressure and the the the, the feelings of pain and worry. But it's like. Yeah, okay, this is interesting. I, I think that's been a good way for me to respond to difficult situations. Not everybody is as fortunate to have such an inquisitive nature. And, uh, you know, not everybody dumped into a, an ice bath would say, oh, this is so interesting. Probably <laughs> I probably would. wouldn't say when it's happened to me, but in retrospect, I was like, <laughs> no, that was actually pretty good. So it's it's kind of also the sense of humor, too, of like with life, too. We take things way too seriously, mm -hmm. I think, of being able to to relax and see things from a different perspective of it's been wonderful having you, Dr. Rosenthal. Uh, Listen, it's really been a pleasure. And um, how do I get in touch with you? Uh, for sure. I will uh, send you the information, but I want to know, uh, I want everybody to know that the book is, again, Defeating Sad, 
Seasonal Affective Disorder, A Guide to Health and Happiness Through All Seasons. Uh, it's Dr. Norman Rosenthal, researcher and psychiatrist. And uh, again, wonderful to have you here on this program. Such a pleasure. A great pleasure. Good luck with all your wonderful work. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.